Thank you, guys. We are in week two. By the way, Sherry has got hidden skills. Did y'all notice she was on the keys the last couple of weeks? Uh, pretty interesting stuff. I, I, I find that fascinating. Um, the talent never ends. So I, uh, we're in week two of our series called Vision 2020, where we're looking forward to the next year, and we're trying to carve out what are some of the uh, driving values of our church, and then how will that translate into uh, what our church accomplishes in the coming year. And so that's where we'll be for the course of the next couple of months. Um, today, we're going to take a look at this concept of morality. Um, is it fixed or is it fluid? When I talk about morality being fixed and fluid, we'll get more of this here in a little bit, but let me just give you a brief idea here. What being fixed is the idea that morality doesn't change. The big, being fluid is the idea that it changes from person to person. And so that's a question that our culture is asking today. And so we want to see what God's Word has to say, what God's Word teaches us on that subject matter. Our text today comes from Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, we'll be reading verses 19 and 21, and then we're going to jump to chapter 15 and read verses 5 through 6. Again, this is Paul's letter to the Christians living in Rome, and these are his words of advice, his words of um, direction for them. Let's stand and read together from God's Word, Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 19. Here we go. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much. You may be seated. All right, so I just want to walk through those verses together. Paul's kind of developing a philosophical conversation here uh, with the Christians in Rome, and so it's going to have that nature to it. I do want to say here at the front end that if you are under the age of 30, this perhaps should be for you one of the most important sermons you will hear for the rest of your life. You say, wow, Gordon, you're really putting it out there. No, I'm not kidding you. This is one of the, I think, one of the, the heart of the issue for anybody uh, who's being raised in the millennial era and the millennial, millennial age and how millennials understand and think about morality and think about truth. So this is really important for you. For the rest of us who are a little bit older, some of this will sound like, yeah, I agree with that, but it's good to hear it articulated. So let's kind of walk into these verses together. Romans chapter 14, we'll begin at verse 19. It begins, so then, if you look over at the NIV translation of the text, it says the words, therefore. I had a wise professor in college who often would say to us, if there's a therefore, you need to know what it's Therefore, that's right. And so what we need to do is go back a little bit, a couple of verses back here in chapter 14, and figure out, well, what is Paul referring to right here in verse 19? So what's he saying? So let's go back just a little bit, a couple of verses to verse 14, chapter 14, verse 14, um, and see what Paul's referring to with his therefore statement. He writes, verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Now, Paul is talking here, not in vague generalities, that nothing is unclean, nothing is wrong. He's talking specifically about food that's been sacrificed to idols. If you read through chapter 14, you'll get that that's the context of what Paul is sharing here. Um, he says, although that there were prohibitions against this and the Mosaic law of eating food that was sacrificed to idols, though those prohibitions are no longer in effect. So that's what he means when he says, nothing is unclean in and of itself. Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament law. We no longer have to observe that part or that portion of the law, where it's talking about food that's been sacrificed to idols. So here's the problem. The Jewish people that Paul is, are part of the congregation that Paul's writing to in Rome, 
the Jewish people have been raised to not eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Right? It was part of their tradition. Their parents had taught them, look, you don't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. You're a Jewish person. That was one of the laws that God had given us in the Old Testament. Just the same, their grandparents had not eaten food that was sacrificed to idols, and their great-grandparents, going back 50 generations, none of the Jewish people had been eating any food that had been sacrificed to idols. That was considered against the rules. That was considered unbiblical. But now things have changed, and the script has flipped on them, and what at one time was considered unacceptable or unclean has now become perfectly acceptable. What at one time was considered a violation of the ceremonial laws uh, of the traditions of the Jewish people has now become something that has been widely accepted, and it's okay. God revealed this to the Apostle Peter over in Acts chapter 10. A couple of verses here for you from Acts chapter 10. God, the, Peter see, has his vision, and he sees his picnic blanket descend from heaven, and on this picnic blanket are foods that have been sacrificed to idols, and foods that the Jewish people were not supposed to eat. So they were from animals that the Jewish people weren't allowed to partake of. And so he sees this stuff descending from heaven, and so God tells him, hey, Peter, eat the food. And Peter, being a good Jewish person, responds, chapter 10 and verse 14, by no means, no way would I, as a good Jewish person, eat any of that food that's on that blanket. And so um, he says, I have never eaten anything that is unclean or common. To which God then responds, verse 14, what I, God, have made clean, do not call common, do not call unclean. In other words, Peter, you can have the pork barbecue sandwich, it's okay, it's all good. You can eat this now. Now, when you've done something um, your whole life one way, right, as Peter had, as these Jewish Christians living in Rome have done, if you've done something your whole life one way, when you've been raised with a certain set of values, and now it has been revealed to you that those values are no longer the case, well, you can imagine that those values don't just go away. It takes time. It may take generations for some of those value systems to begin working their way out of the consciences of the people. And so Paul here in Romans chapter 14 is dealing with the first generation of Jews to, be, to receive this message that, hey, look, you can start eating food that's been sacrificed to idols. Um, and so they're struggling with this. Their consciences wouldn't just roll over and go away. So back to Romans chapter 14 and verse 14, Paul says to them, hey, I know that some of y'all are stuck on this issue. I understand that this is difficult for you to accept and to embrace and move forward in the freedom that you have in Christ. He says, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to set a principle in place, a principle that will, just, that will uh, carve out for you morality. Paul says, nothing is unclean in itself. You need any of that food. But, he says, here's the rule. It is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. In other words, if in your heart you feel like that's wrong for you to eat that, even though the Bible gives you privilege to do that, if you feel in your heart that it's wrong, he says, then for you, it's wrong. If your conscience is alive and kicking as you get ready to eat that or take that bite of that barbecue sandwich, just don't do it, he says, because for you, that would be sin. A little bit later in this same chapter, Paul puts it this way, verse 23. He says, but whoever has doubts, that is, whoever doubts whether or not it's wrong to eat that thing, he says, if that's you, then that person is condemned if he eats, because your eating is not from faith. And whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, Paul says, if there's not a biblical prohibition against a certain action, key line, if there's not a biblical prohibition against a certain action or a certain behavior, he says, and you do it anyway, Right? Or, or your conscience is fighting you, and you do it anyway. He says, then for you, you're not acting in faith. For you, 
that would be sin. In summary, Paul is saying, let your conscience be your guide where there is no specific biblical prohibition. Y'all with me? Mm -mm. I'll keep it going. We'll see if we all get there. Verse 19, we're back where we started. It says, therefore, so then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another brother or sister in Christ stumble by what he eats. So Paul says, if I feel perfectly comfortable eating the barbecue sandwich, and I'm going to go over to my, brother, my buddy Drew's house, right? And Drew's a Christian, but Drew's a Jewish Christian, and he has all this stuff wrapped up in his past and his traditions and the way he's been raised, and he just can't eat the barbecue sandwich. And when I go over to Drew's house, I'm not going to pull out my barbecue sandwich and eat that barbecue sandwich right in front of him. That's what Paul's saying here. I don't want to create a situation in which my brother might stumble. I don't want to create a situation where my brother, who, for whom that would be wrong, right? Because their conscience is alive and prickling them. In that situation, he says, I wouldn't take that sandwich out and eat it in front of them. He might think poorly of me. He might think poorly of the Lord in whom I serve. Um, he might be tempted to do something that his conscience would not permit him to do. And so basically, Paul says, have some personal discretion, if I can summarize verse 20. Have some personal discretion. When you're around other believers who don't share your same freedoms of conscience, then abstain, go without, whatever it is. Till the day my grandfather died, my mom wore clip-on earrings. You say, why'd she wear clip-on earrings? What's the deal with that? Well, my grandfather had been raised in a church tradition in which women did not wear jewelry, and they considered this to be scandalous, right? That a woman would wear jewelry, and so, it, you know, if you've been around long enough, you, you know what I'm talking about. But anyhow, that, that, was, that was his tradition they'd been raised in, and so my mom, to honor her father, just chose to not have jewelry on when she went around him. And so she wore clip-on earrings so she could pop them off, didn't have the holes in her ears when she'd go over to see him, right? So this is what she'd do. She'd pop them off, pop them in her pocket, put them back on after she had left the house. Um, and so, again, my mom made that choice not to do that in front of him. She didn't want to create a stumbling block in his relationship with the Lord. She didn't want to sully her reputation in her father's eyes, especially over an issue that was not even biblical. You follow me? She took Paul's advice, the advice of Scripture, to choose not to destroy the work of God for the sake of earrings. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, key word, harmony with one another in accord with with Christ Jesus, verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, take all of this potential for bickering and arguing and fussing with one another, or whether or not you can wear earrings, or whether or not you can eat food that's been sacrificed to idols, or whether or not you can have pork. Take all of that stuff that the Bible gives us legally the right to do and to enjoy. However, if our consciences are prickling some of us, Take all of that area and what the Bible calls in chapter 14 and verse 1 of Romans disputable matters, right? To take all of that, those things in that area and just push them off to the side and use discretion, use common sense when we're around one another and realize there may be some friction. And then the people of God will remain faithful, then the people of God will remain united, then the people of God will remain strong, and the church will just continue to stay on mission. Okay, well, that's our text for today, and so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here, 
what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I appreciate the philosophical conversation. I don't yet see how this is the most important sermon I'll ever hear in the rest of my life. But uh, so tell me, what difference does all this make? Hopefully in the second half it's coming. What difference does all this make to my life? Well, that's a really great question, and let's see if we can answer that. Perhaps when you picked up your um, bulletin this morning or saw it come through the email, um, and you saw the title of the sermon, Is Morality Fixed or Fluid? You thought to yourself, of course it's fixed, right? Morals don't change. Um, And so uh, you'd be right. Morals don't change. However, what we just learned is that there are some circumstances where morality, our notion of what's right and wrong, changes from person to person when the Bible does not speak clearly to the issue. We're in earrings, right? Ladies wearing jewelry, eating food that's been sacrificed to idols. So if if the Bible doesn't speak clearly to an issue, or if it does speak clearly to an issue, but I still don't feel good about it, in that situation, what we just learned from Paul, Romans chapter 14, is that in those areas where the Bible doesn't speak clearly, we are to follow our conscience. For example, say a person grows up Jewish and they become a Christian. They may say, in Christ I know that I have the freedom to eat whatever I want, but my conscience won't let me. It's just too different from how I've been raised. And so in that situation, we apply Paul's rule that even if there is no biblical prohibition against something, that if your conscience pricks you and says no, then you go with your conscience. You let your conscience in that scenario, in that situation, be your guide. So in that situation, morality becomes fluid. You follow me? I told you it was a thinking man sermon here, so hang with me. It changes from person to person, but only, and don't miss this, but only on issues where the Bible does not speak clearly. The question for us is, how do I determine when I'm reading where the Bible speaks clearly and when I'm dealing with something that's Old Testament law that perhaps is no longer applied for us today? How do I know the difference between that? Um, the law of Moses is, comes to us in three parts, um, or three different, uh, conceived in three parts. The ceremonial law, I have a slide for you here. The ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. And here's a, um, the, the ceremonial laws are the laws that govern them as when they worship, right? The rules and regulations that dealt with them when they were making sacrifices, the feast days that they had to observe, uh, the ritual cleansing of the priest before he would go into the tabernacle, before he'd go into the temple. And so those were the ceremonial laws, the stuff that governed them when they wanted to worship, when they wanted to engage with God. You follow me? That's three times today. I haven't heard you answer yet. So, all right, so that's the ceremonial laws. There's another kind of law. It was the civil law. You know, my cow walks onto your property, knocks over your fence. How are we going to make restitution for that? Um, perhaps, uh, you know, my neighbor stole from me. What do we do with my neighbor because he stole from me? And so those are the civil laws. Those are the laws that govern them as a nation, the nation of Israel. Remember, the people of God were a nation, and so they needed certain laws to direct them and lead them as they were... Um, as they were as, as, a, as a people, like government, literally their government. So that was the civil component of the law. But then there was a third component of the law, and that was the moral law. Um, this, was the, this is the unchanging, universal, timeless laws that are written into God's word, and they carry forward. I don't know if you knew this or not, but every moral law in the Old Testament is repeated again in the New Testament. 
all of us. So if you're wondering, well, I don't know if this is like an Old Testament thing or a New Testament thing, we'll just look for when it laps or you know carries over from Old Testament to New Testament. Laws like we see in the Ten Commandments. I got a slide here for you: the Ten Commandments. Laws like you know, don't make any graven images, any any idols, don't uh, don't steal, don't murder. Um, one of those up there in the Ten Commandments, I don't know if you realize this or not, is actually a ceremonial law. It's not a moral law. Anybody want to take a crack at which one they think it is? Sabbath. Sabbath. That's a ceremonial law. It's why Jesus was not sinning when the Pharisees said to him, hey, how come you're breaking the Sabbath? It's a ceremonial law. It's not a moral law. It wasn't like go sinning against the Father wasn't entering sin into my body, sin into my, into my heart by breaking that law. It was a ceremonial law, not a, not a moral law. Um, my point is that when Jesus came and died on the cross and rose, he made it so that we no longer had to keep making sacrifices at the temple for the forgiveness of sins. He made it so that Peter could eat meat sacrificed to idols. He made it so that Paul could sit down with non-Jewish people and have table to fellowship with them. They were called Gentiles. Jesus fulfilled, not negated, but fulfilled the ceremonial aspect of the law of Moses. So we don't have to observe those ceremonial laws anymore. Let me read the book of Hebrews. That's what it's all about. Nor do we have to observe the civil laws that were given to Israel as a nation because the people of God have gone outside of the borders of national Israel, right? We're part of the people of God. Um, no longer do we need a, a civil law to govern us as, as a nation because we're, we're many nations now. Um, the gospel, the good news about Jesus has gone, has taken you know, the message about having your sins forgiven and eternal life with God beyond the borders of national Israel. And so because of that, that civil law is no longer in play. But the part of the law, don't miss this, the part of the law that is still in play today, the part of the law that is still, uh, we are bound to today, is the moral law. The moral law is the timeless, universal, across all cultures, laws of God. Um, they are forever and ever. And so Paul is saying is that where there is a clear biblical moral teaching, Observe it. But if the issue that you're raising is a ceremonial concern or a civil law concern, then those no longer apply. Just follow your conscience on those issues. I introduced us last week to two gentlemen who were uh, considered the founders of what we call the Restoration Movement. It's part of how, where this church came from, its heritage going back to the early 1800s. Um, I have a picture of them here, Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone. And uh, you may remember that back in their day, Christians were doing a lot of squabbling across denominational lines. The Congregationalists couldn't get along with the uh, Anglicans. The Anglicans couldn't get along with the Puritans. The Puritans couldn't get along with the Anabaptists, and so on and so forth. And so there's a lot of militancy between all the denominations here in the New World um, back in the 1700s and up into the 1800s. The folks had their traditions. One of them grew up wearing jewelry. Another one felt that that behavior was perfectly scandalous, and so on, and so on. And so Campbell and Stone came up with a saying, a guiding principle, if you will, to try and help Christians navigate these landmines of their traditions. They said, where the Scripture speaks, here's the statement, where the Scripture speaks, we speak. Where the Scriptures are silent, we are silent. 
In other words, let's not get into this whole thing here of bickering back and forth with one another over things that Jesus never even talked about or that the Bible doesn't even teach. Let's not allow those things, those disputable matters, to be things that divide us. Um, Just follow your conscience. Use good discretion, right? When you're out in public or around people that you know that wouldn't agree with those certain things, and, uh, and use discretion in those situations. But by all means, let's remain unified. Um, I had a dad pull me aside recently. He wanted to talk. Not somebody that's a part of our church. He told me about his daughter. She was a bright, committed Christian girl, raised in a Christian home, had loving Christian parents. They taught her the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture. She went off to college, and after finishing school, she said, Mom, Dad, I want to move out west. I wanted to go see what it was like in Colorado. So she moved on out west. About six or seven months ago, they got a letter in the mail that their precious daughter had found the love of her life in the arms of another woman. She was planning to get married sometime in the next year. You can imagine, you can imagine how devastated this father and mother were. When the dad asked her, how can you justify your decision biblically? She said, Dad, you are just a traditional You're just old school, Dad. God made me this way. How could it possibly be wrong? Morality, friends, may be fluid. When and only when there is no biblical moral teaching on the issue. But where there is a clear biblical moral teaching on the issue, any violation of that, the Bible says, is sin. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you feel. We don't get to rewrite the Bible, period. Friends, this is what keeps me up at night. It's this confusion by supposed Bible-believing, Christ-professing Christians who have concluded that all morality, all morality, is fluid. That all morality is just a matter of conscience. It varies from person to person. It's just a reflection of tradition. That's all morality is, they would say, in which we have been raised. Friends, we are as a culture at the tipping point of riding on a rudderless ship. And the degradation that we see in our society is only going to accelerate until we come to accept again that when it comes to biblical values, when it comes to the moral laws of God that are fixed, universal, timeless, across all cultures, until we come to the point where we, where we accept that those are the laws of God. Friends, as we think about the future of this church in our Vision 2020 series, parts of the mandate that we carve out for ourselves in the coming year has to be that we remain uncompromising in speaking where the Bible speaks. There's a lot of churches all across our country who have made the decision, and I've heard it coached and encouraged from up front at church conferences, that we need to be silent where the Bible speaks. My ask of you is that you would open your heart, that you would encourage and push me to speak 
or the Bible speaks. Even when it may not be popular in our culture, even when it's not what's taught in the halls of academia, even when it causes the world to look on us and say, well, you're just traditional. My prayer for us as a church, friends, is that we would be found faithful in upholding the timeless, universal, fixed morals of the Bible. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's words today, words that uh, set it all clear for the church moving forward. God, may we have discernment to know when we need to back off of some of our liberties for the sake of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. May we listen to our conscience in certain situations, Lord, where your scriptures don't speak to the issue, but yet something in us is saying, don't go there. Don't do that. May we be faithful to listen to your Holy Spirit. And God, may we as a church never compromise Never compromise on the clear teaching of your holy word. Lord, we want to build our lives on it. We want to build our families on it. We want to impart those values down through generations. Lord, we love you. We thank you that when we fail, you're there to forgive us. But that, God, you do not ask us to tolerate doctrine, to tolerate truth, but rather, Lord, to be kind and generous and compassionate with people. We pray that your Holy Spirit would stir in our hearts now, that we would take what we've heard today, that we would drive some stakes in the ground and say yes to you, yes to your truth, yes to your word, no matter what we're hearing in the word and in the world, and in the culture around us. Lord, we love you. It's our desire to honor you. Speak to us, we pray, in these quiet moments. In Christ's holy name, amen.